Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of My Body, My Pleasure, where we discuss everything centered around pleasure. So today's episode is a special treat and it has a little bit of backstory. So let me tell you guys. So recently I ventured into the waters of Facebook and made a few posts inviting people to become a guest on the podcast. Um, You guys know that I really hate doing solo podcasts and I just really want to talk to different people. Like that's the whole purpose I started this podcast anyway, was just to talk to different peoples about their pleasure story and what pleasure means to them. So Ty reached out to me and was like, hey, I would love to come on the podcast and talk about how women can experience pleasure through pregnancy and lactation. And y'all... I got a little scared. (laughs) I was like, um, okay, sure. And if you, if you don't know, I'm a self-proclaimed child-free woman. Um, I have seven beautiful nieces and nephews and I just believe my mama don't need no more grandkids. Um, and that walk of life is just not for me. Um, kudos to you if, you know, for those of you who have become mothers, but that is just not my walk of life. So I was like, I don't know about this, but I'm going to do it because I want my platform to be accessible to everyone. And so I was like, okay. And y'all, Ty came in and she just flipped my whole worldview. I was like, this is the conversation we needed to have. Um, I was nervous. I wasn't going to be able to hold my weight in this conversation. I felt like I was going to be very uneducated. I was going to sound stupid. But y'all, this conversation, first of all, it went totally left. Um, in the sense of like what I had planned for us to talk about, we talked about, but then we talked about other stuff too. And it just became a whole holy experience. And I was like, I need to have Ty back on the podcast because we didn't even really get to talk about her business. We started... Listen, <laughs> we, we went down one hole and it just led to something completely different. And I'm so grateful for that experience because it allowed me to converse about things that I have been really wanting to talk about, but just haven't had the right person to have those conversations with. And Ty was that right person. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And I do want to give a shout out to my future sponsors. Um... Your continued future support <laughs> helps me to create quality content. That's so rude, but we gonna keep it in. Uh, your future support helps me to keep creating quality content. Um, so I appreciate you. Now let's get into the episode. So, um, yeah, let's just get into the episode. Uh, I have Ty on the line with me. Um, so, Ty, if you want to introduce yourself, um, what you do, who you are, your business, all that good stuff. Yes, thank you so much for having me, uh, Sierra. Um, my name is Ty Griffin, and I am a postpartum doula and a lactation um support person. I'm a certified lactation educator. Um, My business 
Um, I started Liberated Lactation um, at Liberated Lactation. You can find me on IG. Give me a follow and a like and a share, you know. Um, <laughs> so I have been a post um, uh, partum doula for about uh, two and a half, three years, and a lactation educator for two, for just about the same. So just under altogether four years. Um, doing birth work and lactation support for families. Okay, I love that. Um, and we're going to get into that. Uh, so I, this is a question that I always ask my guests at the top of the uh, episode. So could you tell me, like, what is your pleasure story? Who are you in the bedroom? I know this question kind of feels invasive. Um, it's mainly because when I talk to people, they're in the industry. So, you know, they're, like, yeah. more out and open. But if you're comfortable with it, I would love to talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that the nature of being a birth worker and like working with people is that we do have very invasive conversations about <laughs> people's reproductive health journey. So, you know, like it's it's not um, I'm not surprised by a question like this, but who I am in the bedroom and how I express myself um, um, in a sexual way, um, it's taken a long time to figure that out. Um, I still feel like each day I'm getting to know who I am sexually. Um, I definitely, you know, after I had my baby, uh, was definitely into partners, partnered sex, still am into partner sex, but my number one thing for me is solo sex, um, masturbation, pleasuring myself, mirror play, um, I'm definitely um, into that. Um, as far as like, if you're looking for like dumb, submissive, or top, <laughs> or bottom, I think I'm a switch, okay? <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> it depends on my mood, you know. <laughs> Listen, somebody on the podcast called themselves an like equal opportunities. Um, they like it both ways, you know? <laughs> Equal opportunity. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to take that, put it in my pocket. <laughs> um, and so I'm so glad that you brought that up um, because I'm a huge advocate for masturbation. I think solo play is like... You before you let somebody else touch you, you really gotta have. You gotta know yourself. You gotta touch yourself. You gotta. You gotta feel all the things with yourself because it's gonna be very different if you do it with just somebody else, um, and they don't know you and you don't know you. It's just a disaster. Um, but I would love to know about this mirror play because, like, for me, I so. I was a little raunchy teenager. And, you know, used to sneak off to the hotels and usually it was like the pay by the hour hotels that it was only used for one thing. <laughs> and so that's kind of how I got introduced to mirror play. But could you like describe what it is for the audience who may not know? Okay. Um, do they still got our, those rent hour hotels? Listen, where I'm, I'm, where I'm from, they do. <laughs> So mirror play for me, um, I think, uh, started in pregnancy. I was very, not my pregnancy was rough, no, mind you. So I have a four-year-old now, but 
uh, four years ago, my pregnancy was rough. I had a condition called hyperemesis. So I was vomiting, nausea, just like nonstop for like the first 24 weeks. But when my, when my, um, when my baby was growing and my body became more expansive and I became more round, the curvature of the pregnant body is beautiful. And yes. I, for the first time, was just like, now I'm already built in a back. <laughs> so <laughs> when it, that's why baby got back. Look. <laughs> so I'm very proud of just the way that my mom just passed her genetics on to me in that regard. <laughs> so, um, but when my body was just very round and I would look at myself, now I'm super busty, but when my belly, um, my, my chest was like sitting on my belly. So like, there was no need for a bra no more. I was just, <laughs> I just loved looking at myself. Like the belly was popping the hips was set right. The thighs was like, I just love looking at myself. And mirror play is just that opportunity to just be able to like look at your body and admire it through your own gaze. Listen, oh. that's also why I love mirror play. Um, yeah. Because it's just, for me, it's like, I, I get turned on just watching myself. I mean, like, I do it with solo and partner play. I just feel like, it, I don't know, it's like I'm communicating to myself through the mirror. Like, yeah, this shit is good. <laughs> 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 yes, like, you know, like, we killing it, you know. Um, or, like, sometimes I like to watch my partner's face. Um, like, just experience mm -hmm. an orgasm. I think it's just, like, watching it through a mirror is just... It's amazing. Uh. Girl, I'm distracted. <laughs> I, yes. I'm co-signing that. <laughs> Listen. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> I love this. Um, so, I'm trying to figure out, like, how to phrase this question. But, um, okay, y'all. I'm not even going to front. We've already recorded this podcast and something happened in the podcast crash and deleted the scene. <laughs> so we were sitting here trying to pretend that we this like is the we first time. <laughs> we were trying to pretend that, you know, this is the first time that we had recorded this podcast, but it is not. So I was trying to get us back on the path of what we were talking about before the podcast crashed. Um, cause it was a good conversation. Like we, we talked about like religion and all of that stuff. And I was trying to find a way to like navigate that. So welcome to <laughs> the podcast. Yes, y'all. We, um, recorded a beautiful conversation and, um, it was a great way to get to know each other. Um, but I think we left off on how pregnant people can find pleasure in pregnancy. But before we got there, um, you had asked a question around um, essentially how I arrived to like with the work that I do and yes. just how I got to where I am, one, sexually, and two, um, yeah, one, sexually. That's, that's what it is. Yes. And, and so I remember saying how um, 
becoming a parent had um becoming a parent solidified who I was as a queer person growing up in religion and zero you had shared that you grew up too especially you grew up in the bible built sis and <laughs> and although I did not grow up in the geographical south my ancestry is from Jackson as you are um in Louisiana and Texas and so I um and I'm also uh, a quarter German so I have some, I have some Catholic and Jewish roots in me girls so when I say conservative I mean but um, um growing up I did not have the language of sexual pleasure I did mm. not have even the concept of what bodily autonomy meant and how mm. it was, there was just so much shame and guilt and there was ne- there was no space for a little black girl to experience pleasure or be autonomous in her own body. Yes. And when you have the church whispering into your ear that your body is not yours, it's actually the Lord's. But then as the church leads us, it says it outright that, you know, marriage is like the top thing for men and women. And if that isn't your calling, it's like, well, here are the other things. And so you're spoon fed this doctrine that, you know, marriage is the pinnacle of the Christian life. And then, um, and then essentially your body it's, it's not just the Lord's, but it becomes your husband and your husband's and so submission and all of that stuff. And so when you grow up in an environment that says that your body is the Lord's and then marriage is the goal and then your body is your husband's, there's no space for you. There's no space for pleasure to be yours. And in fact, if we want to get into the nitty gritty of it, there's no space for pleasure really which is totally antithetical to who God, I believe God to be. God is the author of pleasure. They are the creator of our, of our sex organs, of our reproductive organs, of our pleasure senses. And so when we deny our, okay, we can, we can, we can. <laughs> listen, listen, I'm here for this conversation. <laughs> But I think when we deny ourselves even the education that we that God is the the author and the creator and the designer of of our pleasure senses, we we lose God. We lose a part of who they are to us. Girl. Yes. Listen. So, so we don't we don't we don't learn that we don't learn that about God. We learn pleasure through the context of marriage, right? And though that may be okay for some folks, we have to hold space for the people that that harm, for the queer and gender expansive people that were who were identified as Christians, and who were harmed by that. Even for people who I who experienced um, uh, their own pleasure, who masturbated or engaged in 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 in, in pornography, healthy pornography. Um, you know, like that's, that's safe. Um, but sometimes the church doesn't invite us in to that. And so, um, for a long time, I struggled with even calling myself queer because we already know how the church, um, treats queer people. Um, 
we, you know, in some spaces we're welcome and in some spaces we are not safe, right? And so mm-hmm. um, I grew up loving God and I grew up wanting to please God. And it's so interesting. Be, uh, there's, a, there's a scripture that says, um, I think it's uh, be a sweet smelling sacrifice unto the Lord or something like that. And it's just like, like be pleasing unto God and there's that word pleasure like so my life is to be pleasing unto God but I am miserable I'm gay (laughs) and I don't know how to how can how can I please God when I feel like the core part of me um how can I be pleasing unto God when I when I think that girl in my Bible study is sexy as hell like is that is that pleasing to God and I'm speaking about my younger self here but um so that's that's that I know I'm stirring the pot a little bit but um (laughs) listen my gender expansive dog in the background (laughs) hey Adam um yeah just to continue like um I grew up not really having a relationship to my body and to pleasure and, and sexual pleasure. And, um, but I did grow up with thinking that being cis and um, like being with a man was the thing to do when I knew in my body that um, it was both either or and all for me. I identify as pansexual. So, and I didn't arrive to that truth really until I was pregnant with. Um, with my baby now I came out to my former partner um but it was when I became <laughs> pregnant and I, and I had this inner truth that just would not quiet I cannot forfeit the truth of who I am because of what this organization or uh says about what they think my sexuality should be and having a child for me was that it opened up the floodgates to my truth because I was now assigned to raise a soul. And how can I raise a soul and be in a closet? That's mm. real for some people, but for me, it couldn't, it couldn't be anymore. And so um, coming out has still been a journey. Um, I now find myself in a wonderful queer relationship bring yes. queer relationship and it's 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 hard but it's um but it's beautiful it is beautiful and it is um but it's hard because you know that that old narrative likes to knock at your heart um sometimes yes um listen that was so beautiful I'm just hearing you talk about it for a second time like it it's it's still just it I don't know it just it does something to me because when we talk about like the when you brought up being like a sweet sacrifice and being a pleasure to God I'm just like we we don't talk about those things um I released the podcast earlier talking about what I wish I knew about sex and one of the things that I like kind of ended it on with was just like I wish I had that trusted adult that could have just sat me down and talked to me about <clears throat> pretty much anything just answered the questions that I had I feel like so for me I started having sex consensually at the age of 13 and so like that is not an age that 
anyone really should be having sex, uh, no matter the gender. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like because it was so shamed, like I was immediately just your whole this, this, and that. You're going to be a teen, like you're going to uh, be a pregnant teenager. All of these different things like was thrown upon me. Like I didn't have anyone to have those honest and raw conversations. Um, no one really taught me that, first of all, you can say no in sex. <laughs> like the most mm-hmm. basic thing is like you can say no, like, and it's, it's okay. You can be in the middle of having sex and still say no. Like consent is consent. Um, and it's consent is your power. Like you, you own that power. Um, and so I'm like, I could have avoided so many awkward situations. I probably wouldn't even have started having sex consensually, um, at that age, if I would have known, you know, avoiding that pressure because uh, I was born in the South. And so I was only taught no sex or a safe sex for your husband. But I mean, even at that time, I realized that I didn't want to get married. Like I don't, I don't like the thought of submitting myself to another individual and putting my life in their hands and trusting that they're going to care for me in the way that I need to be cared for because Mm -hmm. I've seen firsthand how husband abuse wives and how mothers are left to fiend for themselves and figure stuff out. If the husband is like, Oh, I'm done. I'm out, you know? Um, Mm So I don't, I I never really understood the ideology of marriage. Like I, I love the thought of love. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hopeless romantic. I love love. I love loving on other people. Um, I exist in a world where I think everybody deserves love and everybody deserves pleasure. And you shouldn't just say that this one person is my mate for life, you know, like, because you can experience different mates at different points of your lives, especially as you grow and evolve into a different human being. Like, you're going to want to experience different lovers. Um, but, yeah, that was my tangent. <laughs> no, I hear you. I definitely, um, you know, part of my work as a doula, and um, in our former conversation, we talked about what a doula is and the time. Oh, I was going to get more so we, so we can still get to that. But um, I believe that, um, you know, I heard you say consent and understanding that, like, the, the whole um the goal of partnered sex is really for it for consent to literally be the bedrock and the guiding post and um at whatever um um age a person um and within safety and within within a bedrock of consent um chooses to express themselves um sexually through partnered sex i believe that um that education around consent is, is important. And, and um, I know in the South, like having those two options, like no sex, safe sex for your husband, there is a large chasm of information <laughs> that are not, are unaware of like, okay, but between me not having sex at this age and one day in the future having partnered sex with my husband, whoever that will be. Um, <laughs> what about 
the fact that this is a choice that I can make, that sex is something that I choose to engage in on through my own agency. Um, where is sex education? Where is the reproductive education? Where is the, where are the conversations about at what access to adequate and equitable and non-biased reproductive health care look like? Like what that that's that uh, is where I feel like my role um, as a as a reproductive like support person comes into play because. We can tell people not to have sex and we can tell people to wait, but that doesn't really give people agency. <laughs> like, wait, for what? <laughs> Let's be real. Let's talk about the, the people who do wait and they experience um, adverse sexual experiences or um, God forbid assault. Like, they're like, or, and I think that arming people with, with education also gives them the ability to not be ignorant around what assault is and what, yes. um, what it isn't. And I think that that happens, especially as black women and previously as black girls, that lack of access to sex education and reproductive education puts us in harm's way. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Because, Listen, yeah. we we yeah. can talk about it. We can, we can go. We can, we can go. <laughs> hey, I can always come back though as another as a guest. <laughs> Look, you gonna have to because I feel like we got multiple conversations that need to be had. Um, Especially, I I'm a huge advocate for letting little black girls be little black girls. Let's mm-hmm. let's stop sexualizing black girls. Let us have childhoods. Mm-hmm. Let us, you know, like it's always oh she's so fast. She's trying to grow up so fast, and this mm-hmm. isn't it. She know what she's doing. She's a child, you know. I wish somebody would have said that to me. Like I wish somebody would have been there for me in those instances. Like. I was a child being an adult now and like being in therapy and understanding what healing my inner child looks like. Like I was Mm -hmm. a child. I needed that adult, that grown person to advocate for me um, and say that like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand this. Like I was a child. Like I was still, my brain was still developing. Like I, I had no understanding and it was because of that lack of evidence of, healthy education because I got the I got the talk I got the if you have sex you're gonna get pregnant you're gonna get HIV mm-hmm. you're gonna die and yeah. for so long I thought that because, what, what about the <laughs> <laughs> you know if, it, if, if you're not having sex with your husband which is a whole another conversation because you still even with partner sex you still should be getting tested but if you're not having sex with your husband you run the risk of getting pregnant and getting hiv and dying like i thought for so long that every time i had sex that god was gonna punish me with hiv i thought he was gonna punish me with an uncurable std i lived in fear for so long after sex like i would go through this whole mental thing even as an adult even 18 19 20 21 I always just assumed like, 
oh, I had sex with this person. Like, this is going to be the time where God smites me and it's going to be it. Like, he's just going to give me something uncurable. And I'm like, that is a sad way to think about sex. That is a sad way to experience pleasure. Mm. I keep getting on these tangents, but... (laughs) No, I think, like, I hear you, especially when the first thing you said about, you know, let little Black girls be Black girls. I think there are many... Um, movements right now. Um, there's an organization right now, like in the neighborhood I grew up in. I grew up in like the Linwood Compton area, and mm. then um, lived my teenage years in um, like the Long Beach Bellflower area of Southeast Los Angeles. And so, um, I too can look back on memories and and remember like uh uh-uh and because I was my I was very uh curvy as a little girl and just like the you could hear the comments and just like the sexualization of jokes and um that was very hard and even as an adult with a parent uh, as a parent now I'm just like I want somebody to say something about my by my kids. <laughs> because, oh, like, we really, we have a long way to go in healing those wounds. Mm-hmm. And, um, and children, black, little black girls, little black boys, little black gender expansive children need to be who they are and have, um, need to be allowed space to explore um childhood at their at their own rate and even um you know in in utero children um there is a like children experience pleasure in the womb now I know that that's weird to talk about because we live in such a sexualized society and because of that the, there is a large hyper reflex for people to protect to want to protect children and I'm a part of that group <laughs> like when it is and exposure and stuff like there there should be a hyper reflex to protect our children from from harm but I think the 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 the, the downfall of living in an over sexualized society is that we we forget that there are age-appropriate levels of exposing our children to what pleasure is and how that is expressed and um, how they can express that for themselves and even being very blunt with children like how did I get here like oh well this parent and this parent came together in this way that was consensual and we decided to bring you into this world by engaging in this act. And that can be tailored at each level. Like even with my own kid, it's like, I was very adamant about making sure that my child um, knew um, the, 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 the parts of their body. And that's simply because I was exposed to harm as a child. And when you don't have the language to express how harm happened to you or um, how, oh, that wasn't a friendly touch. That was a harmful touch. 
like being arming my child with language one to protect themselves and also to understand that this is your body this is your anatomy this is the anatomical structure of this this is how this works and then tailoring that as they mature right so um I believe that in letting children be children, we also owe it to them to educate them at their pace and at their level what it means to live in this body. And living in this body, that comes with pleasure and that comes with also knowing that you have autonomy over that. So um, there's a lot of um, accounts on various social media platforms that um, I'm not an expert in this, but they are. I don't have the names now, but there's an account, especially that's ran by um, a Black identifying um, woman parent who um, teaches parents how to scale those conversations by age range. So um, I think it's very, very important. And in doing so, we arm our children um, with the ability to spot people who are not who who will harm them and who will and who will not like yes like i i'm really big on educating our our kids in age appropriate ways and in safe ways by safe people let me just say that just so no weird people will come on your podcast (laughs) and your comments trying to say they're doing something weird no we just believe in educating kids tell the kids what their body parts are and stop giving nicknames right because nick look that's all i gotta like nicknames are not appropriate like tell the kid that this is their part of their body yeah don't give it a nickname if you want to if you want to work with nicknames work with nicknames but over time educate your child because there's a whole host of people who are more educated than i am and have done studies on this, on why it's appropriate to tell children the appropriate name versus giving um, their the anatomy. Name. Yes. And they can explore that because Google is free 99. So they can, they can do that. D-Y-O-R. I am a huge advocate for do your own research. Yes. Uh, yes. It, I, I also believe that um, I I believe it was a TikTok. Listen, TikTok is might be a little bit better than Google uh, for some things. Uh, videos. People are visual. We are so visual. Yes. So if people, I love the TikToks that like, or the, the, the IG posts that come with like links. Like, no. Yes. Like, here. Yeah. But anyway. I'll let you like your sources yes um but they talked about that and they talked about how it can reduce get, uh, allowing kids to understand their own bodies and giving them the correct names will allow will reduce a lot of harm it will reduce a lot of um sexual molestation like which is very rampant unfortunately in the black community um and it's because we don't get those we don't get that education we don't get that that harmful this is what this is and this is what this isn't and this is what you should avoid you know we we don't get those again i i 
I wish we just had adults that would just sit down and be like, hey, this is what this is. You know, even as a 13 year old, I wish somebody would have just been like, I see, I see the path that you're going on. I see what you're doing. And I think you should know that this could possibly happen. You know, I, I hate that it was presented in a, a fear mongering space because as a teenager, you're going to rebel. And I think um, a friend once said that like people who give birth don't real some people who give birth don't realize that they're giving birth to a human. And so when people start realizing that they're just tiny humans and existing as tiny humans. So as you communicate to them, you communicate to them as you would a human who could understand, you know? Um, And so I wish somebody would have connected to me on that human level instead of a child level, um, because I, I was still human. I was still developing. I was, you know, it, when you look at children as children, you, you kind of, you put them in this box and say, oh, I'm doing this to protect them. I'm doing this to keep them from harm. And it's like, yeah, but you're also setting them up for failure. You're setting them up mm-hmm. to be harmed, um, essentially, if you don't give them this education. Um, but I'm going to get off my soapbox because, y'all, this is not what this podcast is supposed to be. But in essence, I think Sierra is because I think at least, I mean, you and I when we were in the process of getting this set up, I told you the work that I do. I work yeah. with families. I, work, I, I, I teach parents how to feed their babies. Yes. And so a large part of the work that I, that I do is pro-kid. Like it is pro-child development, right? And I think that you are correct in saying that um, like people, young people do need older people to not only guide them, but to support them and speak to them in a way that is helpful to their development. And also just earlier, like what you said about, like, I do want to hold space for the, for the parents and the caregivers who are hyper protective over their kids. And I think that that comes from a space of maybe something that they experienced when they were younger or some somewhere in their development that said, I'm not going to let that happen. Mm-hmm. So because sometimes I think that in the, when we talk about this, like we when we say, like, oh, parents, like they ain't going to educate. Like, I do think that that does come from a space of wanting to literally protect at all costs their their children and I and I'm and I'm for that. I'm for protecting kids. Look, <laughs> like, protecting kids, whatever we gotta do, we protect the children. So <laughs> um, I'm for that. But I do think that there is also space like within that, like as you protect your child, make sure that 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 bubble of protection that and that you're also providing them with with the education. And I think that where doulas and reproductive health workers come into play is for parents who have experienced um, either bodily trauma or trauma around sexuality or when at any point in their development and they have like a hyper reflex to protect their children, call on a doula, call on a reproductive health worker to, to come in and, 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 have these conversations with you potentially and also to 
invite space to um, and safety to have these conversations with you with your kids because mm-hmm. um, um, that that is also I know earlier we were talking about some of the work that doulas do but there are doulas that do specifically we did talk about period doulas like doulas who work with you during like menstruation or whatnot but there are doulas who do specifically work with um with um adolescents who are bridging that gap between um childhood and and adolescence and that that pure that puberty phase and who work with families on like how to properly uh call it what it is it's menstruation it's bleeding your your uterine lining is shedding on and how to their doulas do a lot like doulas do like that (laughs) those first two letters and doula doulas do and so um there are doulas that can come alongside families and have those and work and act as a mediator for for some just to just for support um and so just yeah just holding space for those parents who are like who got that hyper reflex when it comes to I'm with (laughs) y'all. Listen, you know, and even though I'm a person who I am choosing not to have kids, um, I am also the auntie of seven nieces and nephews, uh, mainly boys. And I feel like, you know, I, I am for protecting black girls, but I'm also for protecting little black boys. Um, letting them be who they are exist who they as who they are um but yes i i am for protecting the kids i mean i'm glad that you brought up being a doula because i don't want people to miss this so could you um describe what a doula is and what does that look like and how they support you as a person yes so um doula the word doula is a greek word that um, literally when translated into um, in the English language means female servant. Now, doulas aren't all female. <laughs> and the word servant can be problematic <laughs> heavily. So um, doulas are, I like to just sum it down to doulas are support people. Um, doulas come in every uh, race, gender, size, expression, um doulas are everywhere everybody um and you don't actually need the word doula to just to describe your work there are some people who really do identify with the with the term doula and there are some people who use other terms um I personally like I will say that like yeah I am a postpartum doula but I usually just like to say like oh I'm I provide postpartum support um Mm -hmm or I provide lactation um, support. But as far as doula support, doulas come, um, you have birth doulas. So doulas who will uh, be present at your birth, supporting the birthing person. You have doulas that um, provide support for the non-gestating person. So the person who, um, the partner who may, uh, who isn't birthing, um, which I recommend if there's anyone on here who, as a partner who is gestating and they're the non-gestating partner, I recommend two doulas because we're oh. in a birth room, period. Um, you have postpartum doulas, which I, I love the postpartum doula work. Um, I like to go in and help people after they've had their baby. 
Um, and that's simply because postpartum doula work um, also aligns with lactation work. Um, the bulk of lactation work happens for after you have a baby. Some of it happens in, um, while you're while you're gestating. Um, for people who, um, uh, yeah, so some of that work does happen before you gestate, but um, typically most of the work is when the baby is here. <laughs> um, you also have, which has become very popular um, in the last ten years, you have death doulas. So de- uh, doulas who assist people as they transition from this world to the next, um, honoring their death requests, their needs, interacting with families, guiding families around how to process death and how to process um, how this person would like to die. Their work, I think, is very beautiful. Um, You have period doulas, doulas who come along and serve and serve and support you while you're menstruating. Um, You have um, doulas, transition doulas, doulas who come alongside uh, people who are gender expansive, trans, non-binary, and who need transitions. There are doulas who even provide support after a person has had um, gender-affirming care um, and will, you know, make food for for that person or whatever. Um, In my personal uh, postpartum work, I'm really big on nourishment. So I do cook for my, um, my clients. Um, I'm a plant-based, um, eater and I make a lot of yummy plant-based soups, um, for my clients. Mm-hmm. I love prepping, so I do offer that in my services. Um, but yeah, there are, um, and as we had talked previously in our, uh, uh, in our recording that went away, we have abortion doulas and abortion doulas, abortion doulas are really on the front line right now, um considering that we have 26 states in the union that have banned abortion and have stripping, um, stripped um, uh, birthing people and women and gender expansive people from, from this right. Um, so um, abortion doulas are there and they show up in a myriad of ways. Um, I also provide post-abortive um, doula services. So after a per- person has had um, their healthcare procedure, I usually come alongside and say, Hey, like, what you need? How can I feed you? Like, and just, you know, sit with them because those, some of those, um, that some of those healthcare procedures can be quite invasive on the body. And so, um, people need support. And even if it doesn't, if, even if it's minimally invasive, people still need support. So, um, abortion we is only support. doing the work right now so just giving space for them um yes. but yeah that's what doulas do <laughs> i love that listen my mind has just been blown this whole podcast because i'm learning about so i knew about death doulas i knew about birthing doulas and postpartum doulas but just even understanding that like they're menstruating doulas like I, I, I sometimes have the worst periods, but it's not because of like just the cramps and the bleeding. It's mainly a lot of the times um, I'm discovering that my depression just bottoms out during my cycle and it's very hormonal. And so there are some days where I'm like literally surviving off a protein shake because I can't get out of bed to cook for myself or I can't care for myself. You know, like I'm expanding the most energy that I can to one, go to work. Cause nine times out of 10, I still got to work. Um, and 
take care of myself hygiene wise. So they're, I'm only using the energy that I have to do those things. Like eating, it just, it, it comes second nature. Like it, it's, it, if it happens, it happens, you know, and that's even worse because it still affects my hormones because I'm not getting those nourishments, you know? Um, and I always thought that you would have to have like a partner to do those things, like, um, to care for you in that way. So I never knew that like, you know, Hey, that there's a service for a doula, um, that could come and, you know, take care of me during that time. Like, I know, it seems weird, but I, I think that's pretty dope. Yeah. And just honoring the fact that like menstruating people who, who menstruate, um, that is a reproductive experience. There is a doula for every reproductive experience you'll have from pre preconception all the way to death and honoring death as part of the reproductive cycle as well. So, um, yeah, like there's, there's a doula for everything and not just reproductive too, but we, we on the topic of body. (laughs) I I love that. Um, so we, we talking about the reproductive cycle, um, and I would love for you to kind of just explain how women can experience, pleasure from pregnancy um or just people in general experience that type of pleasure because for me I I mean I've known since 16 that I did not want kids but that came from a lot of things um but it was really solidified once I learned the amount of things that pregnant people go through while trying to give birth like I I don't I don't think this for me I'm, I'm not God's strongest soldier in that front um so <laughs> love to know like what your thought is and how women or people in general can experience pleasure well I love that you know your truth and I I always um, admire people who make um reproductive choices very on in their early life and like stick to it I'm like love you for making a very informed um decision about your reproductive health and um and I, I think that's beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm sure that there's there's space to like say that like being so autonomous at a young age has given you the ability to be so proud of who you are now. So just want to honor you in that. Um, finding pleasure in pregnancy. Um, I think that for anyone who experiences pregnancy or who is going to become a caregiver or a parent like pleasure is there I want to begin by saying that like pleasure is our birthright um yes as human beings and um I think that pleasure can look like so many things for different people and um but oftentimes, I just want to also give space for, like, the fact that, like, pleasure can sometimes be dictated by mood. And sometimes yeah. pregnancy is not, is, can be probably one of, like, the moodiest, like, <laughs> I, and I'm speaking for myself. I don't want to say that everybody's pregnancy is moody, but I do know for me, like, I was sick the first 24 weeks of my pregnancy with my, with my, with my kid and, um. I lost a bunch of weight because I was vomiting, fatigued, like throwing up, just ill. 
had to get an IV, all of that. For people who've experienced um, hyperemesis, y'all know what I'm talking about, but it's definitely, it's essentially like a, um, a condition where in which the body just really gets really sick um, while growing a, a baby. Um, and so for those first 24 weeks, pleasure was not on my mind. Um, and for some people, uh, for some gestating people, that that first 12 to 15 weeks, um, there is a little bit of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good on, like, don't touch me. <laughs> for some people, now, some people think just like, let's touch me. I need to touch myself or something. But um, it typically happens in some people, like, sex isn't really on the mind because some people experience morning sickness and... And, and all of that. And, and for some people, it's it's the opposite, right? But um, I want to hold space for the fact that, like, pregnancy um, can definitely be the pathway for pleasure to begin for people. Um, pleasure, uh, growing a human is a wild, energetic task. <laughs> it's a <laughs> Exhausting, it can be exhilarating, but um, it should not be something that is devoid of pleasure. For some people, um, you know, pleasure got you there. Pleasure got you in the space where you were able to carry your baby. Um, the desire to become a parent is a pleasurable experience. Like even the like for some, the thought of like I I want to I want to be a parent I want to be a caregiver and however people arrive there whether it's through IVF or artificial insemination or through adoption although for for some people that journey can be riddled with different emotions and, and pain there there's still pleasure that can be found in that right um I think that um when we view the gestating body for people who, who get pregnant there often we don't want to think like oh there's a baby in there like don't do t- nothing too sexy and I think, I'm like no <laughs> like, do what feel, what do what makes your heart happy but I think that um I, I like to look at like Rihanna um, and I know that um, there have been many women and gender expansive people who have been so forward about like their pregnant body and it's growing and then just putting beautiful garments on their body, but really also embracing the fact that like people can really and truly be themselves while pregnant, like, and whatever pleasure practice you had before you were pregnant um as long as it's safe for you and your partner and your baby um or partners honoring people who have more than one partner but like go for it and do that and for people who may have not had a pleasure practice while they were uh, while they're you know before pregnancy or gestating just tapping into the fact that like that can be experienced in pregnancy new things can happen in pregnancy like the body changes and then there are times in pregnancy where there is like a surge of 
hormones going on where you're like, I would like to do it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) When I was like seven, eight months pregnant with my previous partner, I was just like, (laughs) we already in this situation. So let's just, (laughs) you know, and, um, and yeah, so really just, I mean, I'm not a sex therapist. Like I usually, um, engage with folks once they've already done all the, all the sex or however, whatever means they did to, uh, have their kid arrive in the world. But, um, but I will let you know that, um, when the couple times that I've done birth doula work, um, a recommendation typically once a person is post, like if they really need to get their baby out, one thing that we say in the birth work community is the way they came in is the way that they'll come out. And for people, um, who, um, like if you, whatever sort of stimulation, whether it be nipple stimulation or clitoral stimulation that brings about uterine contractions. So there have been recommendations that I've given to people where it's like, Hey, like if you want to get your contractions going, you could essentially like use a toy um, or have partnered penetrative sex or you, or if you don't want to have partnered sex, like use a dildo um, to help stir on those contractions or to get things started. Um, Nipple stimulation is a really big way to get labor started. And that's simply because it causes uterine contractions. It, sends a hormone to the uterus that basically says, okay, I'm going to, let's contract. So yeah, you can, you can start labor by doing the things that got you there in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, (laughs) look, you know, the only thing I've ever known about labor is that it's, it, it, it's uncomfortable. I like, I mm-hmm. imagine myself, you know, first of all, I can never imagine myself trying to do that. Uh, cause that, again, I, I'm a sucker for pain. Like I, it's not, in me. it's not in me. Um, so I couldn't imagine just like, I feel like that would just be like such an un uncomfortable experience um especially penetrative but i can understand if it's clitorial and it's you know through a toy or something but now i want to research this because i'm like do women actually i i'm I'm interested yeah so the nature of like penetrative sex is that it's like hitting against the cervix which we the the idea is that we want the cervix to begin dilating right and then there's this idea of like prostaglandins, which is like, y'all Google, Google what that is. But like for people who have partners that produced, produce seminal fluid, like the seminal fluid can interact with the cervix and cause some con- uh, contractions to happen or just for that cervix to start dilating. Um, but nipple stimulation, um, that is what causes... And I'll, I'll share a fun fact here, but when you latch onto a nipple, it causes those contractions to, to happen. They can be subtle and they can be strong. Um, and even in some instances where a person is in labor and the labor has stalled, 
um, it could be a positioning issue or a comfortability issue or just labor stalls because that typically happens. Um, or sometimes you need more oxytocin. So this is like the birth hormone. That's the hormone that got you into this place. This is the hormone that's going to guide you out. So, or in guide baby out. So oxytocin is what literally causes the uterus to contract the, the flow of oxytocin. So, and what does that touch, kissing, warmth, dark, being in a dark space, being by the, our familiar partners or loved ones. Um, and then also there are zones on our bodies that when touched can trigger more oxytocin to happen in our bodies. And what a beautiful way um, to, to bring about a baby into this world um, um, than by then like having those parts of you activated. Now for, I want to hold space because there are some people who, who may um, not have, um, who may not be comfortable with, with that sort of, uh, like having, you know, like, uh, cl like clitoral, a clitoral orgasm or nipple stimulation during, during labor, because those, as much as those spots will, may help oxytocin production, everything on your body is pretty sensitive <laughs> during labor and people have different uh, levels of how they experience the uncomfortability of labor. Um, and then people also holding space for people who um, have trauma associated with their body. And, and, and um, so it, that you have to factor that in when, when, um, when you're a doula, um, and that usually takes place when you get to know your client at the beginning of, or whenever they hire you on in their pregnancy is really getting a good education on who your client is and the type of history they have with their body. Um, and, and even getting down to the nitty gritty of how they refer to their anatomy. Um, you may work with a gender expansive person who says chest feeding rather than breastfeeding or who refers to their external anatomy as their bottom rather than like penis or dick or vagina or pussy. Like, and you have some people, I have a client right now, there's like my tits. Like, I'm like, oh, like, and then I'm like, okay, do I have the permission to also refer to that as your tits? And they're like, sure. <laughs> so it's like all, this is where the work of consent comes into play as a birth worker. Um, like getting permission from your clients to like, just asking, like, how do you refer to yourself? How do you refer to your body? Um, what do you not like? What kind of touch do you not like? Like doula work. I don't think some people, some people may not agree with this, but there is like sex work and doula work do overlap. And that is just me being honest because we are working with people during reproductive experiences. And um, I know sex work can be like, there is contrast, but there also is overlap because in sex work, like consent, like con everything I think should be consent driven. Yes. Are <laughs> working with people during sexual reproductive experiences. And we have to be trauma informed, just like sex workers have to be trauma informed. 
we have to be consent driven and um like we have to be consent driven consent has to be the 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 bedrock and the guiding post by which we interact with with clients and people birthing people and families like we can't just say something and we have to ask permission like can i rub your back like i've had and um and one thing i'm not afraid of is making mistakes in this kind of work it is sometimes a little bit hard because you're working directly with people during their most intimate experiences but there have been times where like innately I've been like oh they need pressure right here and they're like don't touch me and I'm like I'm sorry and I have to like um apologize and that taught me that oh no I have to even if that person's in the middle of a contraction like no I have to say may I touch you it looks like you Mm. need pressure right here can I provide you some back pressure because like people there are some people when they're when they are birthing where and I want to get into like the pleasure side but like for some people people for some people like birthing like if you're if you're having a whether you're having a cesarean section or um, a vaginal birth like that can be very orgasmic for people and for some people um, especially if they may have like um, unprocessed sex, sexual assault, assault trauma, like that can be very devastating. So we have to hold space for everybody and just the various ways that people bring their kids into this world. Um, so that's a lot there. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm here for it. That's a lot. <laughs> Listen, I now I don't want to hold you too much longer because you know we're hitting the one hour mark. Um, yeah. I I honestly had no idea how this podcast is gonna go. I'm gonna be completely honest. I was even afraid to do right. it because I was like, I I don't know if I can relate to this. Um, because I'm not the one that want to have kids, but I also like I created this podcast with everybody in mind. I want everyone to be able to hear themselves in the stories and in the experience. And I want people Mm. to be able to relate to this podcast and be able to come here if they have questions or if they need advice for anything. And so I felt like it it, it wouldn't have been fair for me to just be like, oh no, you know, I don't, I can't relate this, but I'm also trying to embrace my fears. Um, And I can say that childbirth is one of my fears. Um, but I, you've presented it in such a beautiful way that I'm like, I, I still don't want kids. But I think that it's so much like I can look at it now at a, as a full experience and understand it what it is for what it is. Because I mean, like I, I've always had a generalized idea because I, I, you know, I, I am a person who has like, I can give birth. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I've understood that, but just like the way that you broke it down and like talked about ways you could experience pleasure, um, even mm. from pregnancy, um, and the work that doulas do kind of have like made me re look at what reproduction is and like, <laughs> you know, mm. where can I, even as a child free woman look for support 
in my reproductive mm-hmm. years. Um, so I, I truly, truly appreciate you for the wealth of knowledge that you dropped on this podcast. Um, I had one more question, but I'm not even going to ask that because I feel like, um, I don't know. I feel like we, we, we could go off into like a deeper tangent. So I am going to bring you back on the podcast and we can definitely talk about it. Um, Today we talked a lot about birth, but I also like my main thing is lactation support, like supporting people feed their babies, you know, and so I would definitely love to come back and talk about how there can be pleasure found, like in the joy of feeding your baby, Um, because that's a whole other thing. (laughs) We were just talking about before we got on the call, like you're from the South and like, I think that the West Coast food, like, especially with the Latino and Mexican and South American heritage that the, that the, the West has, like, tacos are fire. Like, the food is immaculate, but you from the South, so the food ain't shit. <laughs> but, 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 the, but I also love how, like, milk your pleasure like we can yes. really talk about human milk and lactation and how like even the process of lactation and just what that brings and how um, uh, like uh, we, we can get into it. I would love to come back Sierra and talk about human lactation and the beauty of it and the pleasure of it and the joys of it. Listen, I, I again, I had no idea where this podcast was going to go, but I definitely <laughs> named the podcast Milk the Pleasure because I, so, listen, I've had some conversations with people and, you know, they've brought up um, the beauty of lactation and the tastiness of it. And I like some, I don't think I was breastfed but I can't remember it. And so mm-hmm. someone who like their partner um, had just given birth, they were a surrogate. And that was one of the things that they didn't expect. And they were in the middle of the act and the partner uh, started lactating. And they were like, they at first they felt a little bit of shame. They were like, this feels wrong. But because there was like no physical child in the like, vicinity like the mother had to get rid of the milk and so they were like sometimes I would drink it and I was staring at them like I like I just I had questions like human milk has like antibodies so they were probably they walked away with look in the birth in the lactation world, we like to say that human milk is like the first set of vaccines for a baby. So that person walked away with a flu shot, uh, <laughs> 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 flu shot, but our human milk is a flu shot. But what I am saying is that it got antibodies. Okay. So <laughs> listen, um, so yeah, we definitely gonna have to have you back on to talk about this because now I'm interested. Like I we 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 talked about it in the space of kink because they were like this is something that is a kink for people and i i was open to it i was like wait a minute <laughs> you know i'm always open to learning new things but i like i i exist in the space of like i don't kink shame and so i was at first i was like wait but 
you know, isn't that taking like nutrition away from the baby? And they kind of explained it to me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> um, so yeah. But the final question that I always ask my guests is um, if you could create a playlist with your top five songs for in the bedroom, what would be on your playlist? <laughs> Well, look, I already know. <laughs> Aaliyah. Yes. One in a million, Aaliyah. That. Wait, already. I'm. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, grind on me, pretty Ricky. Pretty Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. Okay. <laughs> A lot of babies was made to that song. <laughs> so, uh, uh, the third would be um, oh, what's her name? Talking body, Tolo. If we're talking body, you got the perfect one, so put it on me. That one. Um, and then um, Love ballad. What we have is much more than we just have. You know that one? Yes. Yes. And then, um, ooh, red light special TLC. Here we go. I was too young to be singing that song, but also. Because they'll post memes like, oh, um, I'm available Scorpio season. Or a lot of of work workers will like post funny memes around Valentine's Day. They'll be like, "Uh, you know, I'm available (laughs) Uh, in November (laughs) when your baby comes. (laughs) Listen, you know, I I have a love-hate relationship with Scorpios, but yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. promote anything um you want to promote your instagram or your business please take this time to do so because people need to know about you ty (laughs) 
Thank you, Sierra. Well, yes, um, your audience can find me at Liberated Lactation. That's on IG. I'm just on IG. Um, and that's at Liberated Lactation. So, um, yeah, hit me up. I do lactation support, but I'm also a badass doula. So. Listen, we, we need more doulas. <laughs> Um, so that is all for this episode, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, this is this episode was a treat. Uh definitely want to give a shout out to the sponsors that I currently don't have, but I am manifesting. Um, your future support helps me create quality content and keeps keep people coming back for more. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>